Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Hey everyone, Jordan here, and I'd like to welcome Sandro Rocco, founder of Sanzo. Launched in 2019, it's the first Asian-inspired sparkling water brand on a mission to bridge Eastern and Western cultures. Sanzo has a retail strategy that goes deep, not wide. And after seeing 350% year-over-year wholesale growth, Sandro's 2023 approach to retail is to dig deep instead of going wide. In the short time since launching Sanzo, they can be found in 3,500 doors and more across the country and major retailers like Whole Foods, Target, and Sprouts. I buy mine from Whole Foods every week. And Sandro's goal is to really nourish these relationships and solidify Sandro's position as a key player in the saturated market of sparkling beverages. Sandro, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Thank you. So I've been a longtime follower of all the work that you're doing and really impressed of what you've been able to build in the last four years. But I'd love for you to take me back to the beginning and help me understand what was the spark that led you to create Sanzo? Sure. Yeah. And I think you mentioned it at the top too, that, you know, it's been about four years since we've you know been in business. And it's interesting, like when I think back to that time and the way that the world was and the way that it is today, obviously a lot has changed in a variety of things, but the biggest thing that I think has really come to even bigger fruition, but was a seedling at the time was like the bridging of cultures, I guess a crossover appeal of Asian culture across a variety of you know creative verticals into the really like the broader American mainstream. A lot of the idea for Sanzo was you know, in the year before I started the company. So that was in 2018 or so. And at the time, That was the year that Crazy Rich Asians became the number one film at the box office. It's now actually the sixth highest grossing romantic comedy of all time, just right behind There's Something About Mary. Um, Just kind of show you like how ubiquitous the appeal of that film was. And, you know, since then, you know, there have been films like Parasite, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, a Marvel film that grossed half a billion dollars at the box office. Korean pop music has really become like true. I mean, this past April, it was, you know, Blackpink headlined Coachella and they can a variety of K-pop acts, BTS. I mean, I could go down the line here, literally sell out football stadiums. And you know, at the yeah, you know, back in 2018, I think you were starting to see this happening, and like I think little data points, like very strong data points, are happening. And then even for my own personal journey, I'm Filipino American. I don't let's say since in the 2010s that I was even starting to develop even my own sense of appreciation for my you know, Asian American heritage. It had always been there growing up, but not necessarily something that I was you know really heavily like attaching myself to. But seeing just a bunch of these you know like amazing creators do what they do and have a real impact on society had me wondering, hey, is there something that I might be able to contribute to this conversation? And yeah, also in 2018, at least for myself, was also like, that to me was like the summer of LaCroix and the summer of sparkling yeah. water. I was working at a technology company at the time and our fridges were stocked with LaCroix, bubbly, I think come out that year. And there's just a bunch of other you know, brands, both private label and third party that were just like getting really popular. And I just was finding that it was re- like replacing for me like literally water instead of water i really enjoyed and just got so much more joy and satisfaction drinking sparkling water and i was like okay 
it, this is cool. But then what I also noticed was in this fridge, our office manager would buy from you know, all these different brands from box.com and the cool brands, but the same exact, for me at least, like lemon, lime, grapefruit, mixed berry um, kinds of flavors. And I just felt like awesome, but Gosh, I think there's so much more room to have real conversations here about like other like other interesting flavors, and so those points really, you know, really served as the like spark plug for asking like, hey, is there room for a brand here to have and open up these kinds of conversations that can celebrate you know, these underlying cultures that have these amazing fruit flavors, and so yeah, that's what kind of started me down the rabbit hole. And it's a, you know, four years later, you know, here we are. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love that. And so what was going on in your personal life that led you to think that this was the right time to start a beverage business, right? You're at this technology company, you've been there for a couple of years, you noticed this, you know, a couple mega trends that were going on and had this personal need, but what actually was the impetus for you like stepping out and launching this as a company? Yeah, I'm sure it's the question that many entrepreneurs entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs ask themselves, which is like, okay, I have this idea. What do I want to do about it? You know? And I think, you know, what I've seen and I'm fortunate that in the five years you know, before starting the company, that technology, the company that I was working at, I was one of the first hires at the company was, you know, basically this, the right hand person to our CEOs for almost like the entire time. So I got to see him and his co-founders, you know, build the company and see all that they had to go through. And, you know, I think the ultimate question was just like, Am I the person to do this? Like, why me? Or, yeah, someone else surely has this idea and is going to go ahead and do it and whatnot. But I kept, like, asking myself it. And, and the more I just, like, frankly, like, couldn't go to sleep without thinking about the idea or kept waking up and, like, thinking about it, the more I was like, hmm, you know, maybe there's a reason it doesn't have. And, like, I remember, like, you know, doing Google searches and being like, okay, some things that are, like, maybe somewhat similar or at least, like, these import brands that are, like, super cool, but there's really nothing quite like what I've been thinking about right now. And it would, like, legitimately eat at me. What if I don't pursue this? Will I regret this? Because I think someone else, you know, will. I don't think I'm the most like original person out there. I'm not inventing new battery technology or <laughs> like saving the war. I don't think I have the capability to to create like, you know, history changing technology. And so I was like, surely someone else might have this idea, but gosh, I think I have something unique to maybe to like lend to it. And so it was really just coming from that perspective that just kind of led me down a path of like, okay, it's at least worth exploring. And again, like yeah, folks who are listening here also like, it's not like I had the idea and then immediately just like quit my job. I just went at it. Like actually, and I actually coach a lot of folks. I actually tell folks, especially in this industry, gosh, keep your job for as long as you can. Especially the first iterations of research and development, you know, initial brand building, things like that. At least my experience is it actually takes quite a bit of time. And I, I decided to formulate on my own, but then was getting my recipes like, you know, signed off by a process authority, had to order raw materials, had to find a co-packer, all these things that just frankly took time. But honestly, like at least what I found was they don't also take up 40 hours a week right, right. in the beginning. And so I actually think the best thing you can do as a founder is like actually continue like to maintain a job and use, you know, whatever discretionary income you have remaining to help fund this and see 
what actually makes sense because there's some things that I found were like, okay, actually, you know, we put maybe a couple hundred bucks into this, into this iteration and didn't quite work out or didn't go the way that I thought it would. And so, okay, that's actually a quick pivot. That's easy to do, easy to fund when you are drawing a salary. And it really took maybe, honestly, took about a year's worth of moonlighting on the brand before I thought it made sense to actually like fully make the leap. So for me, it wasn't nearly as like dramatic as, okay, I had this idea now I'm going to like drop everything and like step in and this is, and this is it. It was a much more gradual process for me. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because the business, especially being the beverage business, it's really expensive. The minimum order quantities, as you know, is really large. And you have to try to get all those accounts and sell. It's hard to launch e-commerce because you're shipping liquid and water across the entire country. And so having the funds to be able to support that initial lift and initial growth will be able to kind of give you more opportunities so you don't have to take bad deals just to kind of sell some product at the front end. And I really appreciate you mentioning the larger cultural movement around kind of this continued growth in Asian culture and Asian American culture, even specifically. And it's really one of the mega trends that I've seen. And when I say mega trend, something that's going to be lasting for a long time, that's fueling a lot of growth in the country right now. And as you mentioned, it's in movies, it's in music, it's in CPG products. I mean, you're part of a wave of Asian American CPG founders who are really building amazing businesses and seeing great growth. You know, there's companies like, you know, Fly by Jing and Amsam and tons of others who I could mention. And I love seeing that movement. And so, you know, what is it even like building amongst other Asian American CPG founders? Sure. It's funny hearing you say that it's now a mega trend because if you asked us, you know, for the last like four years before this, we believed it. But a lot of investors, even certain buyers, distributors, like it's been a sell. And and, and I think even I've now learned, you know, trends have to get started by someone or some entity or some community. They don't just, you know, manifest themselves. And so, you know, again, even I think just like a lesson that I learned as an entrepreneur is like, you can read into like industry trends and try to cobble things together that way. And, you know, that's a very like big CPG playbook or like, at least for us, I think we started with our community and built a trend out of that by you know by investing into this community and i think at least from my perspective where we've all developed like very strong friendships on a much more personal level even beyond as just you know founders is that we had similar theses around being you know first generation asian americans who you know, have strong familial ties, both our families that are here, but also the families that live abroad and wanting to make sure that we're doing both the work of respecting and honoring those cultures, but also, you know, from our perspective too, like laying down the foundation for what the future is going to look like. I I saw this in a tweet. And so I apologize. I can't remember who this should be attributed to, but something that really, really spoke to me was that it was a tweet that was like a lot of first gens focus too heavily on being good descendants versus being great ancestors for the future. And that just really struck with me because it's like, you know, while we do want to respect the past, like there's also a very unique story that I think a lot of us first gens have in being, you know, predominantly born and raised here, but having those connections. And so I think the the last point that I'll say there is that it has made it, I mean, nothing in this industry is easy, but if there's anything that's at least made it more joyful and sure, maybe a little bit of an easier lift is that, you know, we are all helping 
to carry it for each other. So like, you know, the work that we're doing in beverage, we, we get benefit to your point from, you know, brands like Fly by Jing, you know, the, the Momofuku CBG line, Bachans, Amsam, the work that people are doing, you know, so everyone that, all the work that's being done in sauces. There's also a lot of amazing brands, you know, being built in the Bevalk space, the snack space. And so it's like, it does help when you're part of a larger trend. And I think in beverage, a lot of it had been, let's say like the, the coconut water wars or, you know, more recently the world of like, you know, probiotic and prebiotic sodas. It's like kind of more directly folks building out a set. I think what we're building, it's a slight tweak, but, you know, it's not too dissimilar in that, you know, we're tapping into what had been a really unmet consumer need and demand across aisles. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And, you know, it just made me think about a series of posts that I think Kim and Kim and Vanessa from Amsam made around, like, breaking out of the ethnic aisle a couple of years ago. And I love that there's just a proliferation of products across, as you mentioned, the entire grocery store, across category, all with a similar mentality of how can we leverage traditional flavors maybe from areas of the world that we're from and being able to re-envision that in a current way right it's like not even a moderate it's just like the current lives that we're living and i love that quote that you found around really being good ancestors for the future so absolutely love that now i want to dive into your business a little bit right so you've seen pretty quick growth in the last four years. What have been some of the biggest challenges in managing just the growth and the size of the company and building that as a beverage brand? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit in in the last one, but like just, you know, beverage in particular, it's an expensive category. You know, I started, actually started the company with just my own capital. No co-founders, didn't have any previous business partners. And also clearly because of that, no previous industry experience. (laughs) Because what I've learned is, you know, having tried to be as scrappy as I think I could possibly be in the beginning and getting it off the ground, you do hit a point where, especially if the business is going well, if you have the fortune of you know getting in and actually having some like good velocities out of the gate, you need significantly more capital to fund continued growth. And look like at the time, especially in the beginning, like I'm kind of not you know sugarcoating it. Like in the beginning days, like I was not getting a lot of yeses from investors. There were folks who didn't quite understand the thesis. You know, so many of the questions were: Is this drink just for Asians? How big of the market is just the Asian American consumer? And kind of like taking you down a line of questioning that would make you think that like no one else except Asians who only speak like non-English languages would consume this product. And like again, well, you know, like, like you only know, people. For a Chinese at Chinese restaurants, so it makes right. Obviously, right? Like there aren't chains like Panda Express that have like glo- you know, global dominance, right? Like, and so you know, it did take a while. And look, like I, that first like you know, eighteen, you know, we've been around for four years, but I'd say even just it's really only been the last year and a half to two years that we've even had like real distribution. I mean, a lot of our business in the beginning was direct to consumer or just like building up smaller case studies in regional tests because that's really all the business could afford. And so, you know, it's been a bit of that part had been a slog, but it was also a good forcing function for me to say, okay, I do have to prove it out, you know, at a local regionalized level before folks will give us the capital to grow. And in many ways, 
like I think a lot of it was intentional on my end just because I realized how much capital I did not have. But part of it also was a good thing, right? It actually meant that we had to show real product market fit, you know, before we could earn the opportunity to scale beyond that. And so, you know, I think especially, I think just generally as an emerging beverage brand, capital constraints are always going to be a thing, especially over the last you know, 18 months, we've had to be a lot more watchful over our runway. We were fortunate, I'll say, to have raised a larger round of financing when times were good. And so that definitely helped in being able to kind of like, say like you know, survive and even thrive during what's been a pretty tough time for a lot of folks. So we're fortunate there. And now, I'd say the biggest thing that I am, you know, working through on a personal and professional level is really how I take the you know, make the transition from being purely founder into founder CEO. You know, our team has increased in size as it's needed to to support the retail distribution that we now have. We're now at 19 full-time team members. Wow. And that's, you know, we had even up until the end of last year been predominantly a natural channel brand. But this year we've now opened up, you know, conventional grocery in a little bit more of a meaningful way. We're in every Safeway, Albertsons and Vons in and pavilions in California and Hawaii. We also opened up about a month ago every stop and shop in the Northeast. And so, you know, as, as the distribution has grown, so has the need to develop a real culture because now that we have a team, like folks rightfully, you know, expect certain things out of their employer. And so, you know, we want to give our employees, you know, a fantastic experience while they're here. And so just, you know, I think before, you know, one of the biggest benefits I think I had was, you know, as a previously bootstrapped brand was, you know, I had to learn every single part of the business and I loved it. You know, I'm an engineer by trade. Also, I worked in finance and then I also worked in, you know, in marketing. And so I just enjoy every aspect of the business. But, you know, now that we have you know, you know, functional leaders for each you know, key part of the business, you know, I've also had to learn where I'm actually being a bottleneck for the team if I'm too invested in the weeds. And I need to actually, like, empower the team to be able to make their own decisions. And for me, I don't want to say get out of the way because actually I, some people will say that and I actually disagree with that. I think, you know, team leaders, they want their CEO to be there, not get out of the way, actually get behind them yeah. as they're making a decision. And so that's... Yeah, the, that transition has definitely been one of the most fun and empowering ones, and just yeah, it was like awesome to see like our team leaders you know, take it to the next level. And yeah, that's been a fun, awesome transition for me. Well, that's definitely an important and powerful milestone, and so excited to hear about just what you've been going through as you've been navigating that process. You know, one area that from the outside at least I see you and the team doing a really amazing job at is on retail activations and merchandising and setting up displays. It really makes a huge impact, right? Of like the ground game and making sure that you're getting the visibility and, you know, frankly, right, then that drives sales for the brand as well in key stores. And so any insights on really how to be successful at each individual store level account that you're in when you start growing? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the point that I talked about with you know having more regionalized you know, distribution and then like maybe slightly slower distribution gains than some folks who may you know come out of the gate with you know five thousand, ten thousand doors. At the end of the day, once you open up those doors you need to support them or like, or you don't, right? And so I think for us, you know, because we've gone a bit more of a measured pace, you know, we've been able to develop learnings at each level about what works and what does not. And I think having that level of 
perspective. And I'll say too, like giving that to the retailer, you know, showing them like we will do whatever we need to do to support. Here's also what we've learned. And what we have found is that the retailers and our distribution partners very much value that, especially if it's coming from a place of real lived experience. And so, you know, what I'd say to folks who are in the earliest stages is like the value of building credibility through you know, those early days of like actually being in the field, learning about your brand, interacting with customers, interacting with the distributors, interacting with the, you know, the retail team at four or five o'clock in the morning as they're resetting the store for the day, especially in the earliest days, like that really can't be understated. Obviously, at some point you gotta turn on the you know the bigger brand awareness machine through, you know, at home, you know, your like social media feeds are yeah, that it's becoming increasingly important. But also that doesn't matter if someone comes to a store and they can't find you or you're not in the right place or they find another competitive brand that does have a better place and they add them to cart before you. And so, yeah, I think the biggest lesson that we've had, that we've taken is, that we've gained is like, when we go into a retailer, we actually think, for the most part, have at least a semi-educated point of view on how we think merchandising can go. And you'd be surprised, I think, like how much the retailer really respects and wants to work with you on that. I think that's amazing, Sandra, and I appreciate that insight. Sandro, thanks so much for being on the show today. If anyone's listening and hasn't tried Sanzo out, like definitely make sure you drop by a Whole Foods or Sprouts to get some. My favorite is the lychee, but everyone has their own. So pick up one of each and figure out which one's your favorite. Sandro, thanks so much. Thanks for the time.